Paul's here. Paul's here. Autism rocks. See autistic? Fixed for multiple plat. Oh, yes. Are we good? Paul's in the house. He's connecting to audio. Hello. Hey. Hey. Can you hear me? Hey, Paul. How's it going? I can hear uh, you. Yo, good. Glad All you right. can. A lot of keyboards there, man. It looks great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got my little MIDI keyboard here. You never perform on it. And then whenever I want to run something over on the piano, that's my... Oh, I guess I should have cleaned that off. That's, oh, that's my, cool. I mean, look, like, it's life of a musician, right? You keep the papers yeah, everywhere. No musician ever has a clean piano. <laughs> yeah. And if yeah. they do, it's because they've shoved everything in the little piano bench yeah. that they sit on. It's, yeah, it's like because we they, all do. they were like, there's a person coming. Let's clean a little bit. And <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think that we're like in, in today's program, we're going to be dorking out on some music a little bit. I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited for that. Uh, Good times. First question it might be a simple one. You know, so you're a, you're a professional, you write music for a living, correct? I do. Okay. All right. So do you use a tablet or a sheet music when you're in your final stage of having to pr- like play something for a recording tablet or sheet music? Well, it, yeah, I, a lot of that depends. If I had my druthers, I have gotten to the point where I enjoy playing on my tablet because page turns are a lot easier. They're quieter. Of course, you've always got the tech side of it. If something's going to go wrong with tech, it's going to go wrong, like right at that really great moment, you know, where, oh, no, what is my chord? And then you play in a different key than the yeah. singers. And a lot of times if I'm accompanying instrumentalists for, you know, competition or something, then they always bring you 20 pages of poorly copied music and you end up, you know, you end up doing that. I sell sheet music, but I only sell it digitally. So I like the market is just going digital, even choirs. I think choirs will always want to hold a piece of paper in their hands. Some of them, but a lot of them are moving to digital. It's just easier to share and easier to, yeah. Easier to do all that. So do you show, do you uh, um, like sell your stuff to like, Big, the big website like sheetmusicplus.com and like are you yeah you, yeah what what so websites I, are you on so i do have i do have a site on sheetmusicplus.com and um it like it's a great site they they do a lot of stuff well um the problem is, is they keep 40 percent of every sale no yeah and then there's another site i sell on uh jwpepper.com and they keep 60 percent of every sale something like that but these are the two leaders in the in the sheet music publishing industry so i am now like my website houseoflmusic.com is comparable to both of those i in fact i think the process is even better than um than both of them as far as how the sheet music is presented, how it looks that you can listen to it. And I'm working on turning that into a template, kind of like a square space, but specifically for people who want to sell sheet music like me, Um, you know, maybe they've got 20 or 30 songs that they want to sell, but they don't want to give up 40% of the sale on there. So like on sheet music, plus if you look up house of L music, it'll be me. Uh, and I'm working on uploading more of my stuff there, but you can buy, okay, so if it's a choir with orchestra, you can buy the choir on sheet music, but you have to go over to House of L to buy the orchestration. Gotcha. Wow. So yeah. how, So the place that you're at right now, you go into the office and you write music from your office and you, yep. get, pay, you get paid for this. Uh, that's the plan. Wow. We get paid. Yeah. All my bills were paid for this month. So we'll see about wow. next month. Um, so I also do work with traditional publishers as well. Um, there's several, almost all of them are sacred. I've got a couple non-sacred um, 
pieces that I work with. But for the most part, I'm selling, you know, I'm with Beckenhorst, I'm with Word, I'm with um, uh, Hope Publishing. Like there's several, there's several publishing companies out there that I work with, Choristers Guild, even a Catholic music site, GIA, GIA. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a cool. couple pieces with them. But that, again, in traditional publishing, when you sell a piece of music, you get 10% of the sale. They keep 90% of it and they own the copyright. Mm-hmm. And I, I fell into a situation a while back where I'd worked for a company. Um, music writing was not technically part of my job description, but it was something that I just fell into. And then as I was leaving, they said, yeah, we own all your music. You can't do anything with it. And so after some, uh, chats with lawyers and, and stuff like that found out yes i'm safe i owe my music I, I i own it but it was a lot of it was a lot of time and expense i shouldn't have had to go through so now i'm very careful about about my copyrights who owns them and about everything creative i do i always make sure that i'm owning the copyright okay wow that's it i mean and you know the, the farther back you go i mean you hear a lot of stories you know from the 80s 70s 60s and before of people i don't know i think the michael jackson estate owns all the beatles music now or maybe it's the other way around of you know people losing their life's work and nightmare scenarios so you know oh i mean in some even some funny ones things that you would think would be public domain so if you're not if you're not familiar with the publishing world there are yeah there are songs written before usually around 19 i think 45 is the cutoff that we sort of look at anything written before then you're pretty safe it's going to be public domain after that is when walt disney got got into the mix and started screwing everything up for musicians but uh the song um all by myself Mm -hmm. don't want to be all by myself well in it for two measures he uses this gorgeous passage from a rachmaninoff symphony uh beautiful beautiful thing well rachmaninoff is not public domain his family estate still owns you know, all of his stuff. And so that year, this went to number one on the charts. And so he won an award for All By Myself. There wasn't Barry, not Barry Manilow, who was the, um, forget the guy who wrote it. Anyway, so on listed credits that year, um, Rachmaninoff, who'd been dead for quite a while, is, you know, has a top 20 on pop charts. So, wow. yeah, so, okay, yeah, so you know, that's what, okay. So when there's these new pop songs, I used to, I used to work at a music store and I, you know, I wasn't the sheet music manager or whatever, but we all, all had to deal with it in sure. a lot of like Beyonce songs and stuff like that. You look at the top and it'll have like nine writers, sometimes yeah. as many as, so is, is some of, is sometimes that the person that they're sampling or the, you know, or are they actually sitting in the room with nine people? Because I, I, to be honest, that's why one of the reasons I feel that I failed in a lot of bands is I just can't stand writing two people, three people maximum. If there's really good chemistry, mostly I like doing it just alone. I can't. I mean, if someone's like, "Do you want to write with me?" I either will be like, "I'll be like, how about you just write, and I'll play what you tell me, or oh, I'll write." Yeah. You know, but but yeah, how? Do you enjoy writing with other people? And do you know anything about the modern sitting in a room songwriter, 20 people or whatever? Yeah. Like you, I enjoy writing with someone if they know their stuff, if they love it, 
if mm. they are really good at it. Like I have one guy, he, um, he lives here in Dallas, south of Dallas somewhere. We've only met, I think, once or twice in real life. But we've done a couple songs together. Um, and he has a really, really cool flow to his lyrics. And I love, you know, most of the lyrics that he'll give me make for really, really nice songs. I like writing with him. And then I'll usually get a well-meaning, kind-hearted person that'll say, hey, God gave me these lyrics, and I really think they would be a great song. Oh, and all I can say is whenever God gives someone lyrics, they suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta look out. But, I mean, yeah, we're both Christians, by the way, and I do believe yes, that there's yes. been like divine revelation that God does speak to you, but like whenever just your random, usually yeah. a boomer, you know, it's just like, yeah, oh, God yeah. told me something, like, oh, God my gave cringe. me these yeah. lyrics, like, well, that's not how inspiration works, but let's mm. not get into that. So, the modern grift, whenever you're seeing this Beyonce song with like 11 writers, here's how the modern works there's a there's a saying in the biz in the industry oh i got to say that um it's called <laughs> write a word get a third so if you come in and write one word you get a third of the you know so in that case a third of the music is going to the musician a third of the money is going to the writers so if you've got nine writers they have to split up that third by nine but what happens is you'll get two guys, two or three guys that are really good. They write the entire thing. And there's like five other guys who really want to get their name out there. And they'll say, hey, let me write like a word on this. You get to keep all the money, but just put my name on it. So oh. they get to go. They get to say, hey, yeah, my, I've got writing credit for a Beyonce song. Well, chances are they're not getting paid for this Beyonce song, but they're able to go to the next, you know, producer and say, yeah, here's my name on a Beyonce song. And that's what usually happens when you see a ton of writers on there. They're just, they're just trying to get their name out there. Yeah. It's, it's part of the, it's, it's part of the business. Uh, and honestly, writing, unless you're getting a top 20, that's getting a lot of play. Writing is not great money mm -hmm. um most of them have a coffee job outside yeah. of it yeah oh, okay that, i was, <laughs> always wondered that but yeah. because one time i did see a person that i knew was dead on the writing mm -hmm. credits and i you know and, and you know more in hip-hop r&b they're often sampling stuff so that could be you know a rock oh, or like someone yeah. or whoever yeah so i i wrote a hip-hop track uh this was a couple of years ago and i used a line from a a Bach piece, a CPE Bach, not mm -hmm. JS Bach. Yeah. So this was his son, not the big one. And worked out fine, got a lot of playtime in in Japan, I think. The Japanese really loved it. I never saw a cent from it because the guy just, like, cut and ran. But, um, you know, so CPE Bach got a, got a shout-out on, on a hip-hop track. <laughs> Tchaikovsky won an Oscar for sleeping beauty, the, the Disney cartoon. Really? Cause they, yeah, they used his sleeping beauty walls, like the da, 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 mm -hmm. da, you know, okay. I won't sing the whole thing, yeah. but that's an actual, Aww. you know, that's from Tchaikovsky's sleeping beauty. And so they had to give him credit. So he won something post-mortem. Wow. Eugene on Yegan, um, they turned that opera into a Broadway piece called Kismet. Uh, and if you can get through it, you are a bigger Broadway fan than I. It was they have a couple good songs in Kismet, but anyway, they won a Tony. So post mortem, oh. 
um, borrowed this is in. Interesting is the guy. stuff, man. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah like the, it's it's the biz. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've been wanting to say that that word for a while. That's yeah. That's I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you know, I'm a I'm a musician as well. Like I, I'm a oh, teacher. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but like I, I've always whenever I talk to someone, I'm like. You make money off of writing and <laughs> perform because I was never able to make a living off of performing. Even when I was in DC, I got you know good money, but never. I was in a lot of bands and stuff, but teaching was how I was able to to make a living. Sure, but writing and performing that's very hard. So I, like you have an office with like you know you paid rent, you paid half yeah, your yeah. rent. That's crazy. I know. Man. I know. Well, so and this is the one thing that. I, I, like this, I should not be the guy that's making money doing this. I um, I have always like as far as my family goes, I'm youngest of five kids. I would say on the on the like list of musical talent, I'm probably third. Mm. You know, there are, uh, I'm right there in the middle. There are others that have more natural talent than me. I went to college with people that were phenomenal musicians. I can play piano some, but I'm not fantastic. Okay. I can sing on key, but I don't have a solo voice. Like yeah. I'm great in a studio. I'll blend with anybody. I can sight read whatever you put in front of me, but you're never going to have me sing the solo. Mm. And there was something that happened back in 2017. All of a sudden, I was out of a job. I didn't know what to do. And then, you know, when you've been working either music education or church music, you get to a point where you're going to corporations and you're like, hire me. I'm really good. And they look at your resume. No one's going to hire you. Like, you're a musician. You're a worthless person or a useless person. So the only skill I had was writing music. And I was like, well, I guess I'll set up shop and write music. And, you know, that first month, um, one person reached out and they wanted an orchestration done. Well, it was enough to just pay like some of my bill, you know, pay for my bills that month. And honestly, everything was going like it. That's how it started. And most months I was like, okay, I've made just enough to pay for it. And then when I hit to 2019, I had a phenomenal year. So that in like the last three months of 2019, I made more money in those three months than I made at my first teaching job. Mm. And so I, I invested money back into my business 2020 January. Like I've got computers, I've got software. I'm, I'm getting education. Like I'm going to really, really do this thing. And then the pandemic hit. Well, my money comes from movies. I score for movies, TV and albums. Well, Hollywood died. All of my movie deals fell through. Uh, TV wasn't happening. Artists weren't traveling. So they weren't hiring, you know, they weren't hiring album workout. So that's when I ended up taking a job at a theater, a live performance theater. So I was a, I was a, an actor on stage for a couple months there. And mm, interesting. That was, yeah. I have some questions happened. about the theater thing a little bit later. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that <laughs> happened. And, and once that ended, it was, it was time to move back to Texas. And I'm telling you, I, cool. I love this state. Yeah. Like I just feel it. It's me. I, this is home. Yeah, you were uh, um you you were on the show I think about a year ago for the first time maybe a year, maybe fourteen months or something like that. You didn't seem unhappy then, but you seem you seem happy now. You seem like you're good in, in your in your place, man. And I forget was I already up in Indiana when we were talking you last time? You weren't in Texas. Okay, yeah, then I, I, think, would, I would. Yeah. Okay, I would have been in Indiana, and any happiness you saw then was purely an act. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> Okay. I was, well, the funny thing was like the, the theater was right in the middle of Amish country 
And so I'm up there performing Broadway shows. And then as I'm walking to work, like there's buggy parking, or if I'm driving somewhere, talk about testing your Christianity. Like everyone thinks that they have control of their temper until they have a slow driver in front of them. Yeah. Well, make that driver a horse and a buggy. (laughs) And that's just going to take it up a couple notches. And Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in Iowa and Missouri, now Indiana, Michigan, where I was born. But I'm telling you, when you feel when you feel a part of a a part of a place, you're, you're just not quite happy anywhere else. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I moved yeah. to Tennessee, so I'm uh, I'm definitely feeling that as well. I'm in the mountains of eastern Tennessee, and I'm just so happy to be streaming in a small town. And oh, you know, life is pretty good, man. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions from the chat. So you're, you're the, you're the, you're the hairy chested libertarian. I want to get into uh, a little bit of libertarianism later, but this is related to it also related to the copyright thing. What is your, what's your position on intellectual property? That's a whole, you know, there's, it's kind of like the border thing in libertarianism. There's like open borders and closed borders, libertarians, but there's also a big IP debate. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So what's your position and, on IP? And I was really surprised to read libertarians on IP because it's very divided, like yeah. a lot of things we believe. Um, I'm a fan of if you create it, you own it. Mm. If it came from your mind, uh, then then you own it. And, if, you know, in most cases, like my stuff, if people ever want to use my stuff for live streams or streaming or whatever, I'm usually really good about, sure, take it, use it, list me on there. Like I can, I, it, this is something where, you know, it can work both ways. Um, I understand the concept of you don't, you don't own what it is you've made. That's how, that is how the arts happened for thousands of years and it used to be a sign of respect if you used someone's work it was because you respected them enough to do it um but looking back then a person didn't make their living like basically you had church musicians they were the ones that made their living doing music but you didn't see anybody making money outside of the church until really Beethoven. He was the first one that proved you could do it. Mozart, for as much of a wicked heathen as he was, um, was even fairly reliant on wealthy donors and the church. Um, Mozart led up to Beethoven, but Beethoven was the first one that that just basically cut from the church. He has very little religious. So because the... Because the markets have changed, I am a fan of intellectual property right, meaning if I've like if I've written a song and you want to take it and make money on it, then you do owe me money for that. But again, that's between you and me, um, our own contract. And if you try to stiff me, then you know that's where the law steps in and okay. and I um so it's, it. it sounds like you're not an anarchist, like not an ANCAP, because like, like is in, you have to have someone enforce it. I mean, there's either you going to the person's door with a gun, hiring someone, or there's the government. <laughs> you know, um, so are you? Do you think that'd be the government's job to actually enforce contracts? Um, so no, and that I, I one, I think my personal philosophy is the government sucks at everything yeah. the, the government really should just be there for other countries to look at and go oh you're pretty but that's it like basically that's it so if i'm going to have someone help enforce a contract then when someone 
contracts with me or they're using my stuff. Um, I would rather have a private company whose job it is to enforce that. Now, then you get to the point where someone crosses their arms and they say, no, I'm not going to pay you. Um, And in that case, I think in that case, you would have to like, obviously, if I felt defrauded, Mm -hmm. um, then there would have to be sort of like what what's agreed on. that's where that's where sort of having some kind of rule or some kind of law and then you know you get into the into the nitty-gritty of who who was aggressed upon whose rights were whose rights were taken over but honestly i don't think you would get to that point very long very much or very often there would be so few of those that i don't know that it should necessarily sway well, should we have government mm. and laws against this? Interesting. See, I think yeah. it, I, I see. This is why I, I I don't call myself a libertarian anymore. As I uh-huh. actually, I think that it's provable that 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 it has to. You, if there's one case where someone like you need violence at some point, because mm-hmm. and because if you open the door for one person to be able to defraud someone and like take their, like the hypothetical and the extreme example, if there's the possibility of it at all, you need a violent, in violent uh, enforcement mechanism in place or someone will just do it. And it's kind of like the bully where if the bully can, the bully will. And, and I, I will say that one thing that the government is good at is violence. And if you need violence, like it's kind of like this is why I'm a nationalist why like you know within the last year I definitely started saying I'm a nationalist rather than a libertarian even though I love liberty and I think like things like freedom of association and freedom of travel within a nation is very important and freedom to not have a a diaper on your face uh (laughs) you know things like that um but I think that you just kind of to me this is where I've gotten with most libertarian arguments is that if it can happen, it will happen. Therefore, you need a violent entity that will can can enforce that with the gun. Um, how do you what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I I totally agree that violence. It sounds terrible to say, but yes, at some point, violence is necessary. And because we are sinful, fallen man, I'll throw a little religion in there. Because basically, people suck is what that means in non-religious terms. That if something can happen bad, someone will do it. Mm. Um, the The only part about having a government do that is. I, I hate thinking I, – I don't like the idea of of the all-powerful government gun. The monopoly. The weight of, yeah, the monopoly on yeah. it being there. And if there's one thing we've learned from history is you, you can never expect a government to stay small. Mm-hmm. It is a little gremlin that will just keep eating and eating and eating until it's full-blown. And so that's why I would rather take any sort of any sort of aggression, that kind of a thing – Get it as far away from government power as possible. If you steal my song and I feel defrauded enough that, all right, now it, it's resorting to violence mm-hmm. to get, you know, what I feel I am owed, then, um, you know, that would kind of be on me to either come in with a bigger gun or more people with guns to yeah. get what I've got. But honestly, I think. I don't know that humans, our natural tendency is, oh, they defrauded me. I'm going to go kill them. Mm-hmm. On, like, especially yeah. as we've seen now, okay, 
then I'm going to give you a bad Google review. I'm going to get my friends to give you a bad Google review and, or whatever, you know, the end cap version Fair of enough. Google yeah. would be. Yeah. There, there are just so many other venues to get to that point before I show up at your house with a gun. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. But, yeah. but the thing is, the government doesn't give you that benefit of the doubt. Like their go-to is, oh, you cross the street, you know, without a license, we're going to get you with a gun. Like that's yeah. their go-to. That is the good, that's definitely the norm. Well, um, this one might make you laugh, but um, what I think is that you should realize that you're talking to a heavyweight and should be grateful that I'm devoting a few minutes to you and take advantage of it and be respectful and not a punk. That's what I think. <laughs> Do you know what that is? No, no way. No way. I, you thought that was me? Oh, oh, my gosh. You're a libertarian on Twitter. How do you not know this? Hold on, hold on. One sec. Okay. Who is it? Who is oh, it? Okay. So that's Stefan Kinsella. Okay. Do you know who Stefan Kinsella is? I can't, believe, I can't believe I have to tell this story to a libertarian that I'm interviewing. Tell, this is like libertarian. Story. Okay, listen. Okay, okay. So, um, so by the way, Paul got banned on Twitter uh, a couple days ago. So he has a new account. I'm going to link his, his Twitter in there. I can't believe he didn't laugh at that because he didn't know what it was. But like nine out of ten libertarians would have cracked up at that. Okay. Stefan <laughs> Kinsella is an IP expert. Okay. He does okay. a lot of stuff on IP. And a, a Twitter thread from – about eight months ago, who was he talking to? I don't know. He was, it, do you know Ace Arkist? You know, yeah, this dude that, yeah. That, yeah, he tweets all the time. So this is well, whatever this thread is. I need to be tagged on it. Okay, I I'm gonna read. I'm gonna DM you it to, right now. A lot of the okay, people in good. this thread have now been um have now been banned and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like <laughs> so del- deleted tweets and things like that. But this is but this guy got memed to high heaven. That was an unironic answer. He's like, so what do you think? Uh, so this guy is you know it's a multiple. He might have been replying to Ace Arkist, but that was an unironic tweet when he asked about, what do you think? Like, what's your opinion? He's like, I think you should realize that you're talking to a heavyweight and should be grateful that I'm devoting a few minutes to you and take advantage of it and be respectful and not a punk. Oh, That's what gosh. I think. But now, this, you know how like, people will now <laughs> copy and paste this tweet as a reply to all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Like, so I've replied this to so many people on Twitter. Dude, um, a lot it. of the people in I our same it. group tra- chat group chat groups have... Uh, have tweeted this out and, and, and like so okay, anyway, that's well, this, crazy that's I this, you're okay one of the so, only libertarians that that i know I that be. don't know what this is that's crazy and especially man. if it's talking about ip law because yeah, i try to yeah, keep my he, ear to the ground yeah, on it as well he's like a, he is many many i think he's anti ip i believe so but he's definitely one of the be. the um he's one of the top you know, I don't know if expert's the right word, but he's done right. many, many talks on IP. But, dude, that's crazy, man. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, kind of on that, just a, several months ago, I was I wrote a script for a theater, and it was based on some awful, awful Christian romance novel. They're, they've created a musical on it, and I did the script part, not the music, just the script. And we went through all the contract, everything they signed, supposed to pay me money. And then they just didn't pay me any money. And, um, I like, honestly, if I were to go up there and make a deal of it, it would cost me more than what they owe me. Luckily, because we had the whole contract, you know, I was able to get some IP lawyers involved and there was enough scare that they started paying me my money. Mm. But, you know, so in that, in that regard... 
uh, if they were to have performed their entire show without paying me, basically they were paying me rights to own the script outright. So they don't have to pay me royalties. Um, Right, which is a thing, you know, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's like a double, you, like, it, it depends on the devils in the details on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends oh, yeah, on how much sure. money you make over time. Like, I had an old teacher that, that he still was getting checks from Disney in 2015 from a song he wrote in the early 80s. He's like, this is the best, best decision ever made. Seriously, mailbox money. It's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Uh, there's a couple orchestrations I did for some people, and good grief, every year it just, it keeps making money and I get that, you know, it's, it's a nice dinner out, but Hey, it's money. Yeah. I didn't have yeah. to do anything for it. And my, my website, my sheet music sales, like it's residual income. I just upload stuff as I write it and then people can buy the sheet music and perform it, cool. you know, for whatever, but I'm not, it's not like I'm doing anything special each time they buy it. So yeah, oh, it, wow. the residual is the residual is sweet. That's where the money comes in. Uh, I uh, I have a ton of questions about this stuff, but we're gonna. I forgot that we gotta go listen to the listen to these songs. Yeah, before we. So do you have any? Okay, you sent me some of your music. Do you have any input? At which one we listen to first? You sent me five things. Oh man. Okay. Um, all right. So tell me. Yeah. Uh, and I think there is right, a fountain, the- Psalm eighty four, yacht samba, Christian cowboy, and boat chase. <laughs> okay, so let's do boat chase. This was this was for a movie. It's a kids movie. I've actually never seen the movie. I was part of an orchestration team, which is usually how it happens. Like Hans Zimmer does not write his own music. Mm. Hans Zimmer sits in a room and he talks about, okay, this movie coming out, I want there to be like this sound that goes, ah. And he literally takes his fist and slams on a piano. He gives it to about eight guys. And these eight guys are the ones who go out and create these gorgeous scores. And he's got creative input on it like he will come up with the beats and with some stuff but he's not sitting there writing out the music so i was on a team of orchestrators for a kids movie uh and i believe it was about world war around world war ii or something so it's it like all the characters are kids playing adults so they have mustaches on funny as all get out and this was during so it's like this high adventure kid adventure this was a boat chase and this was recorded by the london phil in um in abbey road and the funny thing is so the difference between like your church orchestra that you go here or your community orchestra this that you're about to hear is unmixed okay not mixed at all this is just them kind of playing this is the raw abbey road sound all right let's do it Okay, thinking. And oh, so think work. kids in a boat, like high adventure, chasing around kind of stuff. All right. Uh, work. That's unmixed. That sounds great. That, wow, that's awesome, dude. When you when Bravo. you get to oh, dude, thanks. When you're when you're writing for people like this, uh, like I remember the first time I got to write for professionals, and 
You know, I, I was used to writing for college age kids where if you gave them too many fast notes, they were going to glower at you. And then you go to an orchestra like this and they're like playing and doing their taxes at the same time. It's just, it is fun, fun wow. writing for That's those groups. London Philharmonic? Yeah, London Phil. How do you get like? How do you get them to play that, man? This is great. It it wasn't me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't me. I was I was on the team. They gave me my scenes. I did a couple scenes for this movie, and um, yeah, there. Then you know it's kind of different. I did I did a scene for a Hallmark film, and it like I was so. I I don't like Hallmark movies. I think like most straight men, I'm not a fan of them. Mm. And um, I was I was so embarrassed by the overall scene. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it for the. I I don't even I don't even remember what the show is called now. Didn't watch it. Didn't do anything. I just took that check to the bank and said, "All right, here we go." Uh, it works. That's crazy, man. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're big time, dude. I didn't realize you were so you're I didn't know I didn't realize I mean maybe I'm just dorking out right now. I mean like it depends on the field and stuff like that. But I'm a musician. I'm like the London Phil, uh the, uh, the Hallmark is like, yo. Oh yeah. So <laughs> can I be your intern, right, bro? Like <laughs> <laughs> the absolute so this is the funny thing. Talk about dorking out. The the number one orchestra in the world is the Royal Concert Gebouw in New Amsterdam. Um or yeah, in, in Amsterdam. And I got a letter or an email from their music person. They said, hey, we're looking at this piece that you've written for our Christmas concert this year. And can we get a perusal score for it? I'm like, yeah, I'll give you a perusal score. Do you want my oldest child whenever that comes? Sure, I'll (laughs) I'll send you whatever. So they didn't end up using it, which was really sad. But for the rest of that month, I was so giddy because someone from the Royal Concerto book Royal Concerto Gabao, like they said my name. They know wow. who Paul Thompson is. Wow. Like I was, I talk about Cloud Nine. Yeah. And so it's, this it's is awesome. Fun. Man. It's That's fun. Great. Like I'll get a note from, you know, the National Orchestra in Brazil. Hey, we're doing your amazing grace. Yay. You know, and then, but it's also fun to get a note from like the little tiny church in the Philippines that's doing their amazing grace, but they're only doing it with six instruments. But mm. like, they're both thrilling in a, in a certain sort of a way. So, yeah. Wow. That's great. Which one uh, got, some, oh yeah. A couple comments from the chat. Uh, ha- might be wrong. Says he's a heavyweight. <laughs> um <laughs> That's right. That's great. You're lucky I'm giving this time whatever uh, that tweet is. A- Aimless says boats and hose. Uh, <laughs> Katie Zed says nobody likes Hallmark movies. Aimless says my dad loves them. <laughs> That's great. Dad, yeah. Oh, tear. Oh, yeah. The only the only time what like the I think the only romance movie that I ever watched was the first Twilight. And the girl that I was dating at the time told me i was visiting her and she said oh yeah i love these twilight movies i get very amorous when i'm watching them she used the word amorous so i was like okay i'll watch the sparkly vampires so we watched it and as soon as it was over she's like all right see you later bye that was it that was it i was forced to watch that awful oh man <laughs> so now i'm jaded i'm yeah. not gonna yeah we're just old men <laughs> getting cynical you know world's going to hell or whatever the, the, the clown world's happening <laughs> I'd rather watch Rush Hour, or Die Hard, or yeah. something. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean those. Those. Oh. I mean to me, those are the. There's kind of like it's kind of like which way Western man. 
<laughs> like, are you exactly? Because yeah, like, both are a distraction, but one at least stuff's blowing up. And you know, exactly. Yeah. All right, which one do you want to do next? Um. Okay. So let's go. Uh, we can do a little bit of. All right. So let's do Christian Cowboy. I'll give okay. you a little bit story behind this. I I have twenty five nieces and nephews. I'm now up to thirteen, twelve or thirteen grand nibblings. And all, everyone in my family is musical. You get until the age of five to get your center of pitch. And if you don't have it by then, we kick you out. So one of the, my favorite things in all the world is writing songs for my nibblings. Well, I grew up in a pastor's family, so we were constantly singing for church. And this song, Christian Cowboy, was one of those hokey 80s Christian songs. It probably was seventies when everyone was obsessed with little house on the prairie. You know, we're all doing the cowboy theme. So my, one of my brothers said, Hey, I want my kids to sing the song Christian cowboy. Can you do an arrangement for it? And I'm used to, you know, my dad just kind of strumming on the guitar and I sing. I was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's let uncle Paul take a crack at it. So, um, this, you don't have to listen to the whole thing, but this is, this is my nephew. One of my nephews singing, Christian cowboy, uh, and I, I kind of gave a little Aaron Copeland flair. Cool, very nice. Yeah, right. if you do cowboy. first first verse and chorus, I think it'll be okay. Um, I I think we're gonna listen to the whole thing. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Let's go listen. For it. It's yeah. two and a half minutes. That's great. I okay, sure. Go for it. Go <laughs> for uh, it. People are saying "grand nibbling" is an amazing phrase. I'd never heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, nibblings, nibblings. Someone tried to take it. One some movie star tried to make it a genderless term. It was like, no, no, no. Brothers, sisters, siblings, nieces, nephews, nibblings. You can't. You <laughs> that is fantastic. You don't get this. This right. is this is us. Christian cowboy. I'll, I'll Christian cowboy. Christian cowboy. I want to have a roundup and a gospel story tell and get a lot of people and the Holy Ghost corral. I'll be a cowboy, a Christian cowboy. I work for Jesus all my days. Now on the prairie or in the city, I hope to round up all the strength. And partner, all I want to do is satisfy my boss and be the bestest Christian boy that ever rode a horse. I'll be a cowboy, a Christian cowboy. I work for Jesus all my days. Now on the prairie or in the city, I hope to wound up all the strength. Thank you. 
Wow. And that's Christian that's Cowboy. Fantastic. That was I fantastic. sang it when I was that age. Now they're singing it at that age. Good times. So you okay, so you you wrote that song? No, I okay. arranged it. It was you already written. It. Okay. Okay, yeah, gotcha. it was not not one of my originals. I think the only original I sent you is Yacht Samba. That was um that was a commission by someone whose name I cannot divulge, but they were featured on the front of of Forbes magazine, a very very wealthy individual and one of his favorite things was his yacht and so i got commissioned to do a piece for string quartet and piano wow that's a classic song i mean i want to learn that song that was really really good people in the the... chat are really happy and that (laughs) that version of it was so cute man that was great yeah it's great when you get it i think so that same family my brother he's an evangelist and for people who are not in the church world evangelists travel from church to church and they have usually week-long revivals where they you know and um so his family sings his wife plays and uh so they and even in the evangelist world, my brother is—he's a couple steps above as far as the quality he brings. Mm. And so, when it comes to to music, we put a lot of time. And I'm working on a new album for him right now. And I think that Psalm 84 was also something that I wrote so that his kids could learn an entire chapter of a Bible. But yeah, cool. that's uh, that's wow. how those songs Incredible came out. Incredible yeah. song! That was awesome. Yeah. Man. So yeah, I, I have a question before we do the next one. Um, yeah. You know, so I do Sunday morning streams uh, when I you – know, this week I, did, I missed it because I had a gig the night before. Um, yeah. But so if, when you go to a church, um, these, like the praise and worship team, uh, mm-hmm. you said uh, – what was the word you used earlier? Um, I'm, I'm just drawing a blank on it. You, it's how you – oh, uh, not spiritual – my my question is this: um, What is the difference? Is there a difference between praise, worship, spiritual, gospel? I mean, I know there's a difference between gospel, but can you can you explain what the? Why am I drawing the blank on the word sacred? Yes, I found it. Yeah, I found, yeah, yeah. Is there a difference between sacred, spiritual, praise, worship, gospel? I know they're all like about church Christ centered and things like that, but are there, is there a meaningful difference between these genres of music? Like what makes sense of this for me? Yeah. So it would be mainly genre specific. Uh, some of it's going to be in what they talk about. So whenever I talk about sacred music, sacred music, think more high church. So this would be anything from John Rutter, who is a more modern sacred composer, um, Oleg Yelo, all the way to Palestrina, Bach, um, you know, some of these great, it, it's classically founded. It's usually written in a certain form oh. of the time. It will have either a biblical text or a deeper text. When you get into praise and worship, praise and worship is typically a four chord song. Um, I, you don't have to wear skinny jeans when you sing it, but it certainly does help. <laughs> yeah. And the the actual lyric lyrical content of it is typically going to be more on the emotionally driven side. So you'll get one thought, one hook, and then you sing that time and time again. And if you throw in something about a sloppy wet kiss, you'll win an award for it. Um, And then of course, gospel gospel is also a little more on the emotionally driven, but it tends to be a bit more nationalistic, a little bit more focusing on, it can focus on patriotism. Mm. It draws a, you know, it marries patriotism and, and Christianity and draws through, uh, draws from the blues more, right? Yeah, definitely blues, definitely Southern gospel, which is sort of a, a, an older style country 
country rock. And now Southern gospel is doing what country's doing, where con- country now is what like old rock used to be. I, I don't know. I, the genres, like the top 20s, even this week, all of that stuff confuses me. Yeah, it's all hodgepodge. Yeah, it's kind of like it's, you know, the multiculturalism has fully taken hold. And now it's, yeah, there's like it's no weird. meaning. <laughs> Because like all the beats are kind of the same, except for like Selena Gomez might get a little bit more of a of like a Latin a Latin beat to her background. But then I, like what was number number three this week was Wellerman remix. So you've got a sea shanty thrown in there, and that's oh. now the number three song this week. Wow. So anyway, yes, that, yeah. that's the difference. I don't know that song. I gotta look that up. Then this oh, we're in a weird place as far come. as music. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that song. Okay. Yeah, the Wellerman okay. Sea Shanty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's very interesting. So, like, so you wrote this Psalm eighty four. I want to do that one next. So oh, Psalm yeah, yeah. eighty four. You did you write the when they put us? There's a lot of versions of. I mean, Psalms for people that don't know are were originally were music, uh, yeah. and, and it says that in the head, the first verse it says like, a Psalm by David for the whatever for the choir it'll often say that you know right so a lot of the headings of the songs i think david wrote a little over half of the psalms um and oftentimes he would put on there either for stringed instruments or for so music back then is very different we have western music that's built off of thirds we'll do a little music theory nerd session right here um all of our scale if you think of your first note being one one two three four five six seven and then eight or one. And we like our music, do, mi, sol, mi, do, one, three, five, three, one. That's kind of what our ears and our music theory is built off. You go all the way back to the time of David, and it was more about the rhythm of it. Uh, and it was it was sung, yes, but it didn't have quite as much to do with the melody as it did with the um, with the rhythm. So if you listen now, if you listen to like the Islam call to prayer where, you know, it's coming over the loud speaks, it's like, no, you know, that kind of stuff that would be closer to what the Psalms would have sounded like where someone's just playing on a stringed instrument and basically ad libbed over over top there would be some call and response and the the priests would bang a big stick or hit a cymbal and that's how you keep everybody together so the psalms now for our western ear this was something that uh my brother tim wrote the melody i did the arrangement the and the orchestration on it and this is also my nephew singing this track as well for strings and a piano duet so two people one piano Wow. All right. Let's do So this is Psalm 84. Oh, wait. Psalm 84 in the King James Version of the Bible. Beast. 
His voice is now a bass some days, and it's a tenor some days. Cool. Nice. <laughs> so, how how yeah. old is he? Now he's 13. Okay. I think he so was. Yeah, you're getting there. You're good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now, I, I think he was nine when he recorded that one. All right. <clears throat> very, very cool. So, so let's just get this. Let's do this last one right now. And then my, our last topic of the day might get a, a little bit controversial, but I have a theory ooh. for you about uh, about culture that I've brought up before that I want to talk to you about. But let's do this sure. last one. Do you, so I, what's it called? It just says Paul Thompson. I don't have the – well, what's this uh, last one we're doing? Is it his robes from? There is a fountain. Oh, okay. That's so a, that's a, an arrangement of a of a hymn, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is a hymn that happened uh, or happened. This is a hymn that already existed. That I happened. had to write something for a service, and they had a string quartet and a, a harp, and I believe a clarinet on there. And so this is this is when people are are putting money in the offering plate and you got to soften everything down for the pastor to come up. So I decided to, um, I decided to, to take the Bach prelude in C mm. that do da 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 It's the only and classical then, piece I know. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. And so I blended that with, there is a fountain filled with blood. Cool. Very nice. All right. Last song and then we'll get into some controversy guys. Nice. <laughs>
Dude, I'm not, I'm not lying. That, that's one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard in my life. Oh, wow. That was awesome. Thanks. I can't believe wow. how good that was. Holy crap. Because oh, they're both of my, like, those are two. It's like the, you blended two of my favorite pieces of all time. Like that, pre, that oh. prelude in there is a fountain. That was, a, I have like chills right now, man. Oh, and, the, yeah, that's wow. so cool. Yeah, that's incredible, yeah. man. It's uh, It was interesting. I wrote for a very large mega church for quite a while, and that was a. It was a tricky job to have because, on one hand, you have this very powerful pastor, you know, bigger than life personality, and to be successful, you kind of had to find out what his style was and write to that style. But then you also had your audience um, to think about because they have to appreciate something. So by the time it took me about a year and a half to figure out what the happy medium was. Mm. And once I found that, then I could kind of write in that style quite a bit. And this piece, I do remember, like, this that was a live recording, and it's a very clappy church. So they clap for everything, clap for everything. And I was most successful when, like, at that piece, I remember we got to the very end of it, and nobody clapped. And it wasn't because they didn't like it, but there was just this moment of, <sighs> yeah. And, the release and, you know, at the end of that, like like at the beginning and the end, but dude, when the melody's introduced and then the way it resolves at the end is just that was incredible. And I ripped that straight from Bach. You know, yeah. he gets to the end, he ends it yeah. on that minor six, and he throws in that major two kind of at the end, and then he ends it with that five seven and down to that glorious one that we yeah. all we all want. And Ooh. there's some music theory nerd stuff for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That's cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for se- like sending me your music. We've never done that on stream before. We've never oh, had, a, had a, a, a musician that we we've had musicians on before, but we've just talked and things like that. And I thought about it with you and I, and I, I knew that you were setting up your website. So I was like, this guy's got to have recordings or something like that. Um, so fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, cool. And I thought that it was just going to be like bumper music, like, okay, here's five seconds of his stuff. So I'm looking for like, oh, what's a fun five second sort of a thing. I, what a treat to yeah. listen to it. You, yeah, you, no, you yeah, don't get like to the listen to piece. it in chat. Yeah, yeah. I don't awesome. listen to clips, dude. Yeah. No. Okay. All okay. Right. Let's get into the last topic of the day. Okay. So I don't know. Um, I think you might be the per- perfect person to talk about this with because okay. you're, uh, you know, you're a theater person. You're also yep. a Christian uh, and you're also friendly. So I don't think that this, I mean, I'm also a friendly interviewer, so I'm, I, I've never gotten like into a fight or whatever, but I, with, with a guest, but I have it in my head. And I want you to tell me where I might be wrong or something like that. I have it in my head that theater music is essentially straight from Satan. Um, okay. and now I don't know the origins of it, but there's, th- look, there's so much subversive stuff in theater m- music. It like, it has this like burlesque element, like almost like a stripper element. There's like, you know, they glorify all kinds. Like, it's like, it's, it's definitely like glorifies things like sexual promiscuity. Um, and I'm not, I don't know all of it. So you know, better than me, you know, and you're a performer in the field, but the stuff that we've shown. And to me, I trace back, I used to be in theater. I trace back a lot of my degenerate roots to theater music. And, and it might be like personal baggage from my life. It, it, there, it's a complicated issue because there's like a psych- psychological aspect to it, all kinds of stuff. But if you go see your standard mainstream broad, and I've seen Broadway, it was gross. And at the time, I didn't think it was gross because I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't, you know, 
you know, I thought anything goes, anything goes, you know, like sure. sex with whoever, whatever, any animal, any, you know, anything. <laughs> um, not that I did that. It just seemed to be like the anything goes uh, attitude. And, and like I and I when I look at the history of America as well, a lot of the degenerate and per, degenerate and permissive things started to me in the 20s through 60s in the theater world. Um so I guess I've it's it, not really like my questions would be do you do you agree do you disagree where am I wrong where am I right um, how do you square it with being a Christian that whole discussion is what I'm asking but how do you feel about my my hypothesis so I think you are you are a lot right in your hypothesis I will I will say there is a lot of degeneracy in there and it, it goes back even further than just it being theater music. So when you're looking at theater shows like um, Kinky Boots, for instance, or um, Avenue Q, like these are these are Broadway shows that, by and large, yeah, the music might be kind of interesting, but the stories are they're vapid, they're banal, and the only reason they ever won any awards is because it was more about the shock value of like an Avenue Q, where you have puppets copulating on stage yeah like it was it was just all shock value that actually is a small part of of theater and when you look at the the shows that have withstood the test of time think about Les Mis for one if you can if you can sit through it Les Mis is not my favorite one because it's all singing there's Mm -hmm. there's no speaking in it but it is such it has such a powerful story of redemption that for a Christian it highlights a certain aspect of God's character more strong in a different way, and I believe in a stronger way that no sermon could ever hope to accomplish. Because a sermon, you get 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes if you're Pentecostal an hour. But with a story like Les Mis, you get to set up the depravity of man, you get to set up the redemption of man and go for a great emotional payoff at the very end, and people are going to sit for a couple hours and take it in. Now, the problem is, one, Christians a long time ago, around the 20s and the 30s, when critical, you know, quote-unquote critical thinking was coming, was seeping into our evangelical church, we gave up the power of storytelling, um, and it started it started gearing more towards what do we do to build a crowd? Mm. So we learned how to put on a show, but we forgot how to tell a story. The Bible is not about a show. The Bible is about the story. So there's a redemptive arc all the way through. Um, Now there are, there are a lot of great stories written by degenerates and unknowingly they write a really great Christian Christiocentric story they just don't know it, don't but know this it, yeah. is what, yeah, this is what they feel. This is what they want. So, for instance, Dear Evan Hansen, it's about to be a, it's about to be a, a, a movie here. I got to meet the original Broadway cast. I sat backstage and watched it perform, and the power behind that story. It's not necessarily that the main character is Christ-like, but this is someone who's struggling with their identity. They feel listless. They turn to popularity. They turn to everything that Solomon turned to back in Ecclesiastes. And at the very end, they realize 
It's all vanity. You can have all the popularity in the world, but if if you don't if you don't have a sense greater than yourself, and these are Christians like begging, crying out for an answer. And unfortunately, most of the Christian world has looked at something like theater and they're like, well, y'all are a bunch of horny degenerates. And they are correct. We are a bunch of horny degenerates. But we've most of the people that are out there have been involved in like this is what they feel they they are connected to this song to the dance to sort of this make-believe world and rather than capture the power of that story by and large they've been rejected or if they are accepted it's for a christmas show because we want to pull in a couple thousand people and hopefully get our attendance up so yes you are correct when you're looking at you know um I am what I am where someone is out there loud and proud about being what they are. Yes. That, that is a degenerate song, but then you, I, I I can turn around and show you um, waitress, you know, a great musical where a woman is involved in adultery and she is, everything is like, she is just going down bad path. Spoiler alert until she has her child. And as soon as her child is born, she said, um, today's a day like any other, but something's changed. I yeah. am a mother. I've that, changed. Now, I, I think that's that's like that's fair. What would you say the yeah? That's, it's fair because it's complicated. Like it's nuanced because yeah. there's a lot of different creators. There's a lot of different you know. There's a lot of people involved in this stuff. So it's 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 like human interaction and conflict is messy and it's nuanced. Um, I what I mean is when it was like it's like glorified. Now the the rede- I, I definitely understand your angle or what you're saying about the redemption story. You know, yes. you know like the story of Christ is a redemption story. So but you know so what would you say the the ratio is? Has the ratio of good storytelling and let's just call it good stuff and bad stuff for the sake of the argument. You know, obviously yes. that's yeah. like not helpful as far as far as reality i mean no human is good is all good or all bad but like what right. would you say the ratio has been since 1960 since 1960 and has it gotten worse in in uh the last couple decades no honestly i don't think it's gotten worse i think no. it's stayed about the same because back in the 60s you had the music man a great show you had um hello dolly a great show and then you had oklahoma a rubbish show. So you had, um, wow. like I would say it's that's about, controversial, right? Don't people like Oklahoma? Oh, everybody's terrible in Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's like widely celebrated, right? Well, yeah. I mean, when it first came out, the critics panned it. They said, no legs, no laughs, no chance. Like they said, this doesn't last. It's fun music. I got to Kansas city on a Friday but the character who sings that will, he's sort of a minor character. He is the only decent human being in that entire show. Everybody else, like Curly is guy with obvious mental pro or not Curly, Judd, obvious mental problems. Curly, who doesn't like him, tries to convince him to commit suicide. Um, the main love interest kind of toys on this guy's emotions, rips away. She doesn't like him. Like everybody in there. And then at the very end when he dies, you know, when the bad guy gets killed, the new staging of it is brilliant where as as he's rushing with a knife and everyone pulls out the gun and starts shooting him, everyone is standing there deadpan and they're going, no, stop, don't stop killing them. Like 
they kind of embraced how awful everybody is. When you watch the movie apart from the happy music and you look at the storyline, there is no redemption in that show. Okay, I understand. So as far as that arc, yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I would say it's about 80-20, where you've got 80% really good stories out there. Oh. 20% that are rubbish. The problem is, is we focus so heavily on the 20%. Interesting. And this is why you have to go, I would say, five to 10 years beyond the life of a show to see what are people still connecting with. And that's where that's where I think you get you get the good show as opposed to the one that was hyped. So like Rent. Rent is another rubbish show. I mean, rubbish from top to bottom. When I and saw it, Rent, when I, I went on a school trip, I was in honors choir when I was in high school, and I went on a school high schoolers to see that dude. And I, yeah, so I I went to go see Rent, and we, on Broadway in New York. So we took a bus okay. from from Michigan to New York, and they were like like literally simulating sex acts with each other on stage, glorifying it. And with I was sixteen years old, and. Um, so maybe, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of baggage for sure. Like, and at the time I thought it was all good. I was like, this is cool. But thinking about it, like, it's like seared into my brain. And, yeah. Yeah. And when I found out what opera they had based that musical on, I was like, oh, this is going to be rich. But like everybody else, I was walking around 525,600 yeah, me minutes. Kids like, are so impressionable, it. man. Kids are so, yeah. Yeah, you know, and they're doing the same thing with um, like the big ones right now. Beetlejuice is a huge one with kids. Um, Hades Town, where I like they're they're fun shows to watch, but there's very little redemptive value in the storytelling of it. So five, 10 years from now, once all the high schools have performed them and, you know, it's, it, you know, they got the hype out, you're not going to see them anymore, but they're still going to be performing Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, Music Man, like all of these, all of these fantastic stories, we're still going to be performing them and the other ones are just going to, you know, will largely be unimpressed by yeah. them. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's kind of the same with like pop music where you can focus on the, the, the crap music. But, and a lot of certainly a lot of the crap gets raised to the top as far as the yep. mainstream. And I think that's on purpose. Like, I think there is a subversion of our culture going on or like very of quality. Very and, so. and I almost think that that's that is that part is the hand of Satan. Like, you know, he's he's a, a person. And he well, wants and, evil to rise to the top. And when they become like a godless society, stuff like that will rise to the top. And may I just point out that I think Satan's hand in the theater world in that regard, that same hand is firmly planted in the church world as yeah. well, yeah. where people again. Um, so like the whole thing with Lil Nas X and simulating whatever with satan on the video it didn't really like i don't care i don't expect anything more from them Mm. they have to be shocking because they have about three weeks four weeks like two months if they're lucky two months to make a song sell and then largely you know it might get tossed by the wayside so in the church that's what we did where instead of having a service where people were focusing on the sacrament on sharing the gospel reading of the law um and and redemption 
for sin, we focused on the show because mm-hmm. the show, like you can get into the show. Yeah. I, like, that's what I did. I manipulated people for several years using Same. music. It's not hard to do. Um, and that's where you drive lots of people to the church. But then you get in this vicious cycle where if you decide you want to break from that and actually preach the gospel, well, that's a little bit like that that's not as sexy as the rest of it and so people are not looking they're not looking for a service they're looking for a show um and and the church has by and large rejected storytelling and we have the best story to tell god becomes man wow i will take that any day over thor comes to earth and smashes thing with the hammer like okay cool you know like <laughs> self-limiting wow power for the redemptive arc of an entire world what a great story but no you know we we tend to we've given that up we don't even know how to tell the story anymore and that's where i i love musical theater i'm working on a on a show right now um and of and of green gables i'm about halfway through that's more just for practice. I have another original that I'll be producing afterwards, um, a coming of age, how to tie a tie, fun, fun line, fun, fun story there. But um, I'm, I am trying my hardest to both in the liberty movement and in the church movement, and they're separate for me. Um, I'm trying to reclaim the ability to tell a story and tell it where it gets people where you you feel it as well as know it. Yeah, I, that was going to be one of the things I wanted to ask because there's like you know if, if you talk about any institution, if if you think an institution is failing, I mean if it, institutions are kind of either getting better or they're getting worse, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. If they're getting worse, you're faced with with a binary decision essentially infiltrate it or improve it from the inside or right. leave it and start your own. And that's what I was going to ask. So you're, you sounds like you're seeking, seeking to actively improve the theater, you know, musical theater scene or, and, and, and so you're not going to give it up or anything. You're, you like doing it and you want to put a, um, quality stamp on it, correct? Exactly. Cool. I love telling a story. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Christian theater, so um, I mean, I, I don't there know what are, that is really, yeah. There's uh, people write Christian shows, and it typically means that someone, um, it typically means that someone gets saved, and it oftentimes it, it has less to do with the story and more about appeasing a certain church audience. All of the Sherwood films, Fireproof, Facing the Giants, um, oh, what's the one with the atheist? Like, they tell Christian stories, but it's not a it's not necessarily good stories. Um, I am interested in getting in the theater world using, I mean, I can use secular or biblical themes if I want Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat by, um, sir, what's his name? It, uh, great story. Great sir, telling of sir Joseph. Donny Osmond. You remember, you remember, you know, that he, <laughs> Oh yeah. Donny yeah, Osmond. Yeah, he was yeah. the, uh, uh, what's his name? He did Phantom of the opera. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, I think I saw him when I was young. I think I saw him performing it when I was like, yeah, he could. It is a gorgeous show. People still perform it all the time based solely on like it is based on the Bible story. Someone there's a guy, Christopher Smith, met him. He was on Broadway with his show, Amazing Grace, all about how the song was written. Powerful, powerful 
piece of music and the song on their testimony, you'll have to look it up sometime. Testimony from Amazing Grace, the musical, will absolutely give you chill bumps. Mm. And so people are not like most of us are fine with religion. Like we'll go in if they're fine with religion. If you can give them a good story with some great music, like, yeah, the, the power of a good story, we is is like we just don't even I don't think we understand the potential of it. So, yeah. yes, in my little corner of the world or corner of the sky to make a Broadway reference, uh, going to try to write some good stuff and, and uh, tell a good story. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to end. And the interview is awesome having you on. I would love to have you back on. Dude, anytime. anytime. This, this was fun. It's fantastic. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you some cool music next time. Yeah. <laughs> send me whatever. I'd love to get you on just like, you know, a couple months, like sometime in, in July or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to make, you know, more people be, you know, regular part of the regulars part of the club. You know, I went through my old list and found all the people that had been on the show before. And I think, you know, it's, it's a great break from the news and we can tie in news, current event stuff as well wall but just hearing some music hearing your breakdown and stuff it was awesome so awesome really, yeah really great having you on tell tell the people uh, how to find you I, I'm, i've been linking your twitter and house of l music but this also Sweet. will be uploaded as a podcast as an episode of call me ignorant so oh, tell people awesome. how to find your work and then uh and have a great day all right good talking to you steve all right no Bye. no no tell people how to find your work tell, yes. tell people oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. like audio so, yeah yeah Audio. So find me at houseoflmusic.com or if you go to YouTube, my channel is PT Superman, as in part time Superman. Basically, everything on my business is Superman related. So everything from my logo to the name House of L, Call L, Jor L, you know, the oh. House of L. Ah. Yeah, yeah, I get it now. I, I'm a he soups is soups is my guy. I like Superman. But yeah, find me on there. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, the hairy chested libertarian and always happy to talk religion talk music talk food anything all right good stuff yeah so i'll put your links below in the chat this will be an episode of call me ignorant and now have a great day much love man thanks for coming on paul all right (laughs) peace out see ya all right amazing that was that was awkward at the end that was my bad usually when you say like have a good day that's time to sign off right all right guys guys Guys, are you there? This will be an episode of Call Me Ignorant.